uh, Ruth chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament. I didn't get the page number. If you're using the Pew Bible, you could just yell it out. And my plan is, I'm just going to talk to you about the, the whole book. I, I don't know if anybody, any of you know about like the book of Ruth, but I just want to give you a quick, brief, brief oversight. And one thing that Christine mentioned, I read a book um, written by a woman probably about eh, like three years ago, and uh, I forget what the title was. And I was reading it because I was going through like a bunch of different like women's ministry stuff just to get a better idea of where women are coming from. And uh, I, I, I like the author, and I've heard her speak a couple times. And so I was intrigued by it. And I was... In the very beginning of the book, it was really interesting to hear her talk about women and their hearts and kind of like their minds. And it was amazing to me. I didn't really quite know it to this degree. It was eye-opening to me to hear her or see her write about how strongly women hold on to past regrets and failures. It was like, it was mind-blowing to me. And she would just continue to write about herself and then stories of other moms, other women about all the things that they regret in their past failures and they feel like they you know, have to really pay severely for them in order for them to get to a place that's like better. So you end up like with this twisted sort of mindset that you really have to pay your dues in a really bad way because of all the bad things you've done and then hopefully like, you know, things will work out. And um, as I've come to know you know, a lot of women... Uh, especially in the pastoral role, like a lot of that plays out really true. You just find out a lot of the ways, a lot of decisions that are made by women a lot of times are because they don't feel really good about themselves. They don't really know who they are. They're not very confident. And they have some sort of past history, patterns or behaviors that they're not proud of and they, they certainly don't want to like open up now. And that's not for every woman. But I've noticed certainly that that's, that's a pattern that just like continues um, to happen. And so uh, the good news is we get to be aware of that. And like God gives us you know, eyes and ears to pay attention and see those things. So it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. But it's a tendency that at least we can recognize and be aware of. And I am super intrigued. I've always liked Ruth, but I spent a lot of time this week. It's only four chapters, the whole book. If you get a chance, read the book. It's only four chapters. It'll probably take you 15 minutes. And we're not going to read everything right now. We're just going to highlight a couple of pieces. But I'm very intrigued by this woman because, number one, um, it has to do with a, a pretty messed up family. The husband was, like, not a, let's say, godly man, on track, doing the right thing. Uh, there's a relationship here that's heavily focused on the daughter and the mother-in-law. Not every woman and her mother-in-law gets along really well. It doesn't happen a lot. Uh, if it does, it's pretty rare. But this focuses on that. Um, this is a family that is not like super godly and doing really well, like headed in a great direction. They don't have like a great pedigree, not a famous last name. There's, there's nothing really of substance to really say about them, to be honest with you. And what's amazing to me is that the only reason, really, why this book is even in the Bible 
And then the only reason why we even see Jesus Christ himself later is because of this woman. That's incredible to me. And so it's not always like God says, hey, you know, this person, this woman, and this family, I'm really going to use because they have all of these things lined up. They've always made the right choices. They've always done the good things, and so now I can use them. That's not how it works. The way it works is, who is transparent and authentic and passionate after the things of me? Because that is the woman and the family that I can use. It's very different. It's very different. And when you think about the idea of, you know, what even makes a good mother? What makes a good mom? You think about these things. And probably for it would be fun to do a Q&A with Julie, but she's a nurse right now, so maybe when our little guys aren't so young, you know, we could do a Q&A or something. Or with any mom, you know, you just do a Q&A and just say, you know, if you, what makes you a good mom? And probably you get things like, I always have meals ready. I just know the meals. You know, mealtime is just not a disaster. I just, I got the meals. I know what I got to get at the store. I get the meals. It's late. It's done. Then I have like a great system in place to get everything cleaned up and everything put away. I hardly ever snap back at my kids. I'm incredibly patient all of the time. Our finances, I got that figured out. And there's like, and because of social media, there's kind of this world out there that, I I read a funny one the other day, it was a friend of ours, you know, her post was, uh, I'm really going for Mother of the Year Award tonight, because we just did McDonald's three nights in a row. You know what I mean? Like, not that that's necessarily a great thing, but it's, there is this idea, that there's like this like image out there of like this perfect mother that does all these things, has it all lined up. I don't even talk about the husband part of it yet, being a spouse and like having all that together. Like, there's like all this stuff. And so, honestly, this whole good, perfect mother thing, it's unattainable. And that's not code for don't try. But what that is code for is don't be crushed by the burden of it. Because honestly, what it comes down to is what Christine mentioned. It comes down to not really if I'm a, am I a good mother or not. And, and there's some criteria, you know. Do what, you know, am I able to hold a job? Can I be responsible for things? Can I talk to my in-laws? Am I trying to do the right things for my kids? You know, all this stuff. It's all very important, yes. And there's a way to do these things. But depending upon how well you do those things will not determine if you're a good mother or not. Really, the way that I can determine if I'm a good father or if someone's a good mother, the real question is, what is the godly mother slash father that God is calling me to be? And that's very different. Because what that means, I might have to still all do that other stuff, true. But there's a particular way that I do all of that stuff. There's a unique way to where there's Christ at the focus of it, to where there's an intentional like um, actions and design towards accomplishing those things, but doing it in a way to where the truths of God and glorification of God can be front and center. And that is where the challenge is, right? So... We're going to take a look at Ruth 
And uh, we're, we're going to highlight a couple of passages. And we're going to see the power of faithfulness as demonstrated by this woman, which I'm excited about. Um, we're going to pick up in chapter 1, verse 1. We'll take a look there. We'll get some names and we'll get the situation and then we're going to skip around. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man from Bethlehem and Judah together with his wife and two sons went to live for a while in the country of Moab. So we've got to stop right there because this is actually important, believe it or not. So where they're living, so they're Jewish, they worship Jehovah God, they were Israel, um, you know, Hebrews, part of Moses and Abraham and part of the quote-unquote chosen people and chosen ones. And so you have, like they said there, a uh, man, wife and two sons, went to live in the hill country of Moab. So if you're a Jew and you're a Hebrew and like you're following God and considered to be part of God's people, kind of the thing that you don't do, because God made it really clear not to do it, he said, hey, listen, do not go to neighboring countries and neighboring areas because the way they live life, you guys are not mature to handle that. It's going to suck you in and bring you down, so try not to do that. So it's very interesting in verse 1, we figure out that the leader of the family said, hey, listen, you know what? I know this is God's land and we're God's people, bless you, we're God's land and we're God's people, but... Uh, we're going to go over there, even though God said not to, but I think there's more food, so that's just where we're going to go. It's pretty interesting how it's set up. That's what the leader of the home said. So we pick up uh, verse 2. It says, the man's name was Elimelech. Everybody say Elimelech. Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. Everybody say Naomi. She'll be like a focal point. And the names of his two sons were uh, Malon and Kilion, and they're Ephraimites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab, and they lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. So Naomi's husband, he died. She was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. So that's like our, our, uh, our main woman right there, right? She shows up. And you can see that this family, like I said, they weren't really godly family following the Lord and being super faithful. One, they, they did exactly what God said not to do and left their country. Then uh, the sons of Naomi, they went and married uh, girls that they shouldn't have married because God told them in the Old Testament very specifically, hey, listen, don't take for yourself wives over there because they're going to suck you into a way of life and doing things that is not going to be good. And so you can see it's just kind of like dysfunctional. It's just, they're just not on a great track. It says, after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Killian also died and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So it's not a really happy day for her, right? And Mother's Day is not happy for every mother and for every woman. I mean, she went. Husband told him to go, so they went. Her husband dies. Then her sons die. And now she's just a wreck. Verse 6, when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So what happens is, right? She's like, man, I, I just got to go back to, I got to go back to Judah. I got to go back to, like, with our people. This is a bad situation. 
things are not working out well for us. In fact, we left hoping for like a better life, for things to go better for our family. In fact, things only got worse. And so now she's on her way back. And she's going to have a proposal now to these two girls, to uh, Ruth and who's the other girl? Anybody remember? Orpah, right? So you can, she's going to have a proposal to the two of them. And her proposal is going to, we didn't read this yet, her proposal is going to be, hey, listen, things have fallen apart, fallen apart. My sons aren't here anymore. You're not tied to me. You don't have to come with me back to Judah. In fact, what you can do is uh, you can go back to your country, you know, get yourself a husband, get your family, get things back on track the way you wanted to have it. If you can't, and what she says is she says, you know what, God's hand is against me. God's mad at me is what she's saying. He took away my husband. He took away my boys. You hang around with me. Probably something bad's going to happen to you, so why don't you go back? So Naomi is, like, really struggling, and she, you can understandably see, like, kind of how depressed and discouraged she is, and then she leaves the option to the two women as far as whatever they want to do. And uh, let's go down to verse uh, 10 here. It says, Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud, and they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I too am old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. So at this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. And so was, uh, she said, look, this said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods go back with her. So you see here, Orpah took her up on it. She leaves. Ruth says, no way. I am not leaving. It's not happening. Um, so here's my first like observation. First point that I wanted to make sure that every woman, every man, we certainly get because uh, there's going to basically be four observations from Ruth that are like critically important to any, any man or woman who wants to have a good answer to the question of what kind of man or woman does God want me to be? This is part one of that answer. Part one is this. Um, there's an extreme loyalty to what matters. There's an extreme loyalty to what matters most, is what I should say. There's an extreme loyalty to what matters most. Orpah, she chooses to leave, and we actually never hear from her again in the Bible. Ruth, she chooses to stay, and we're going to read her response in a minute, which is like super serious response. She chooses to stay, and we do hear more from her. In fact, we hear about Jesus Christ at the end, where he comes from her lineage, which is crazy. Listen to her response. Ruth, verse 16. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. So when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So 
here's what I love about Ruth right, right here. In a moment, she just declared, like, very firmly, I am not going anywhere. Wherever you are going to be, I'm going to go. I, I am not budging on this. This is a call, she's basically saying this, this is a call and assignment on my life. I'm not budging on it. You can say all you want, but I'm staying with you. For any man, for any woman, for any of us to know at all who, who has God called me, Jared, to be as a father, who God has called any woman to be as a mother, the only way we can even start to talk about the answer to that question is we have to start with an extreme loyalty and devotion that matters most somewhere. Because that's going to be the judge for however you answer that question. And so for her, it was, hey, listen, I'm connected with you. I'm with you here. It wasn't just because I can get a son from you. It's because I love you and I want to be with you. And for any young woman, for any young man, and either older woman and older men. The whole idea to be secure in life and to like know who you are rests in your identity of who you are. If you don't really know who you are at the core, like if you can't confidently say, hey, listen, here's who I am. Here's what the package is. Here's what, who God made me. Here's how he's going to use me. You'll be very confused and you'll just go a lot of places and try a lot of things. And might cause some problems for yourself might also learn some things. But there's some things in life that we don't always have to learn the hard way. We could actually just listen to good advice. So when a woman, I, I find it to be, oh man, it, it's amazing to me um, to get around women who know who they are, they don't budge on the important things, and they're extremely loyal and committed to the important things in their life. Those are very powerful women. Very powerful women. And when they do that with the gospel, they're not just powerful themselves. They create waves and currents to everybody around them. And they impact all these other women everywhere. And that is amazing to me. And I'm like, oh, Lord, bring more of that, please. There are way too many young women taking Snapchats of themselves, sending them to 14-year-old kids, and they got no clothes on. That's horrible. And it just happens all of the time. There's women all over the place doing all kinds of things to get all kinds of attention from men. Can you imagine how many girls are going to freely give up of themselves if they actually knew who they were and who they created to be, and they say, you know what, I'm not settling in particular areas of my life. I'm just not going to do it. And I'll tell you what, it makes it so much easier for the younger generation to do that and to stand up like that if they have an older woman to see it in. Because then they can be like, well, you know, I know so-and-so at church, and I see the way that she is in her life, and I see the way that she is with her husband, and I see the way she is with her kids. And so, like, I can understand it better now. So women and men, right? This is men as well. But it's Mother's Day, so we're focused on women. But the idea being, there has to be, at the end of the day, this extreme loyalty to the things that matter most. Because the things that matter most in most people's lives are, you know, financial security, um, you know, taking care of your family, 
trying to be good to others around you. And those are, you know, for the most part, those, those are things that really matter a lot. And those are good things. But God's like plans are far greater than that. He's planning to do those things as well. And in fact, he wants to like not just be good to those around us. He wants us to be uh, significant uh, releasers of a better life to those around us. To just be like extremely generous to help just transform them, help them along to where they need to go. Not just occasionally have good intentions about them. It's far deeper and far greater. He doesn't just desire financial security for us. He desires for Christ's followers to also experience seasons of plenty where there's actually more. And not just so we can be selfish and consume, but so we can be a source to then give out of. So like even the original intentions that most people have, it's pretty good because God put it there. But honestly, it gets to the place where it needs to be when he's at the center of it. And so it's amazing to me to see what's going to happen to Ruth because at the very beginning she says, you know what, no. I'm committed here. I'm staying here. And I'll tell you what, she didn't have really a lot going for her. Obviously, Naomi's family was pretty screwed up. She herself, her background, being a Moabite, now going back to Israel, this was a society like, you know, we, we obviously have our problems with division and race and gender and all this. It obviously was worse then. And the Hebrew nation wasn't exactly known for being super welcoming and equal. So you got a woman coming in, you got a Moabite woman coming in who would worship a God, the Moabites would worship a God where human sacrifice was fine. That's how you would actually worship God was with uh, human and child sacrifice. Uh, and sexual immorality was like also a way to just demonstrate worship. And so she's coming from that background, having all of these things. And she's saying, well, I don't know. I'll figure it out. I just know I have to be where she is around that God, Jehovah, and whatever happens, happens. I love that about her. Love that about her. Because she doesn't have a whole lot of reasons, I don't think, to stick around with her. Looks like a lot more problems than anything. So number one, extreme loyalty to what matters most. right? Because the truth of the matter is, you can't control the circumstances that happen to you, but you can't control your response to it. Right? We can't control a lot of circumstances that happen to us. A lot of moms. You can't control a lot of stuff that happens. You just can't. Do your best, but you just can't. But we can control how we respond to it. And that's kind of like where Ruth was. Well, I don't know. Like, my husband just died. My brother-in-law died. You know, my father-in-law just died. And honestly, if that's the way Jehovah God works, I'm surprised she wasn't like, you know, if that's the way Jehovah God works, I don't want to be there. It's amazing to me. She wasn't giving in, though. Loyalty to what matters most. Number two, pure love that stays focused. I want you to show, I want to show you something here. Ruth one thirteen. it says this, uh, would you wait until they grew up? That was Naomi talking to her. She's basically saying, hey, listen, are you going to wait? If I even were to remarry, would you just wait for my sons? And then another thing that she says, uh, in chapter 1, verse 20, it says, um, don't call me. So when she got back to her people, here's what she says to everybody. Because they're like, hey, it's Naomi. She's back after 10 years. Here's what she says. She told them, call me Mara. She changed her name. Because the Almighty, 
has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Noah, accompanied by Ruth uh, and her daughter-in-law. And so she changed her name to Bitter. That's what Mara means. She basically just changed her name. She's like, hey, listen, call me Bitter now. I'm changing my name. And even before that, she's like, you know, the Lord has changed his me. Basically, God hates me. He's going to continue to, and things are going to continue to be bad. I mean, she's super negative. And honestly, she really didn't do a lot to help her situation in the beginning by going to Moab and then saying, okay, boys, yeah, marry their women. Like, that's fine. Like, we can do all the stuff God told us not to do, and it should be fine. Like, there is consequences. Like, God isn't just, oh, God is love, and there's just no consequences ever. Like, that's, that's not the way it works. There's still consequences for things. doesn't mean that there's no hope, but there's still consequences. There is hope, there is redemption, and there's transformation. So here's what's amazing to me. Throughout the entire book, four chapters, you see she's like super negative, and it doesn't, her tone doesn't really change throughout the four chapters. What's amazing to me, I said pure love stays focused. What's amazing to me is uh, Ruth, she never, there's never a recorded instance where she tries to change her mother-in-law's negativity. She doesn't try and change her. She's not like, well, Naomi, listen, you really can't be thinking that way. It's really not going to be helpful for you. It's not going to be helpful for me. We don't want to be around that. It's just bad. Like she never tried to like change her mindset. That's very interesting to me. And I think that's like helpful for women to know this because women and men they do a little bit of this, but women do a lot of this. Like can't change people. Can't change your kids. You can't change your husband. Can't do it. You can only change yourself. Just you can wear yourself out trying to do it, but it's not going to happen. In fact, you just make them more mad in the process and yourself more frustrated, and then it's like, ah. So honestly, the only choice that women and men really have, if you want any kind of change to happen, we actually have to become the change that we want to see. Like we have to become it, just live it out, just be it. Leave the unwanted advice for another day. I love that about her because she never went into that. And by the end of the book, by the end of the book, Naomi is saying, oh, God loves me. He is now faithful to us. His hand has always been upon us and he is righteous. How did the tone change? It wasn't because someone was nagging her. It was because somebody was simply just being faithful to what they knew they should do. They persevered in it and then, hey, God was faithful. And that's what brought her back around because she was able to see the faithfulness of God through Ruth's perseverance. I love it. I love it, pure love. And that's how you can tell like, if you really love somebody or not. Some people only love people if they feel like they have an opportunity to change them. You learn a lot about people and about love when it's just like, you know what, I'm just going to love you for who you are and for who God made you to be. I'll let him bring the changes. And sometimes we get stubborn and it's like, well, God put me here to change you. And, and not necessarily, no. He put us, especially spouses, he put us there to love you as he would love. Right? It's good, right? It's true. 
So extreme loyalty to what matters most, a pure love that stays focused, a persevering faithfulness puts you in the right place at the right time. Persevering faithfulness puts you in the right place at the right time. Here's one thing that I love about God. Um, you know, like when, so I'm a teacher, you know, and I got to give tests and quizzes and do that stuff all the time. And what I, what, one thing I didn't do, like my first couple, first year or so of teaching, is I would give tests and quizzes, like, too fast, meaning I didn't give them, like, three or four day window, be like, hey, listen, three or four days, we're going to be having tests and quizzes and whatever. I would give them, like, a day. Or maybe I'd sneak it in at the end of a period, and then we leave and come back. And the reason why I did that was because I just came out of college. And in college, there is no, like, you get a window. You don't get a window for anything. They're just telling you, hey, listen, we're going to do this, and so you just do it. They treat you like an adult. And so I wasn't used to that. But then, as I was teaching longer, I was like, oh, wow, they need to have at least, like, almost a week notice just for this. Not that they'll do anything, but at least I could say that I said for a week, because they're just going to wait till the night before anyways. At least I can say for a week, hey, listen, got this test coming up got to study. Here's the material. Here's what we're going to do. Okay, okay, okay. No, but like, here's what we're going to do. And then the next day, hey guys, so in six days, you know, we're going to have this test. Okay, in five days. And then you post it. You know, all this stuff. But life doesn't work like that. God doesn't sit there and he doesn't say, hey listen, so you're about to come into a season of your life where you're going to be discouraged in a lot of areas. So, what you need to do is you got to remember all those like discouragement verses. Um, make sure you get those memorized. Make sure you put them, like, in your car. Make sure they're in your house. Uh, Cue up some of your favorite worship songs. Have those ready. Uh, Make sure you get a couple, like, messages from some speakers that will really address that particular situation. And uh, and when that time comes, you know, on October 12th or whatever, like, you'll be ready. Right? He doesn't do that stuff. Right? It doesn't happen. What happens is these testings, a lot of times they are, testings, trials, challenges, they come up unannounced, because that's the way life works. And for adult-like people, which we would like to be, we prepare ourselves and just do the thing that's right in front of us each day. And the amazing thing is, we don't have to cram the night before because we've already positioned ourselves regularly so we're ready for whatever may come. That's the awesome thing about it. And that happens in this story. So in Ruth, chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, here's what happens. It says, And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, Everybody say, as it turned out. This is huge. Everybody say, as it turned out. Oh, my God, this is big. So listen, so let me just give you the deal first. So the deal was, they basically had no money and they were poor, right? They had nothing. And so the deal was, in the Hebrew culture, that what you could do was, you were poor, you didn't have your own land, you didn't have your own crops. What you could do was you could go in, after everybody took up their harvest, and you go, they call it gleaning, you could kind of get your kernels of barley and grain and whatever was there, and that's what you would get. And so she asked her mother-in-law, Naomi, she said, hey, we don't have anything. Let me go glean for a while. Maybe I'll find, <coughs> you know, favor from somebody. Naomi says, okay, go ahead. And she's not, like, praying over her, you know, and doing, like, the, 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 the good godly things. Just, go ahead, just go. As it turned out. 
as it turned out, as she's there, she wasn't hoping on meeting a man. She wasn't hoping on having her entire life change in that moment. She didn't know that that would even be the day. But somebody, she caught somebody's eye. His name is Boaz. Let me say Boaz. Boaz. And what's interesting about Boaz is that he was actually um, related to, he was related to Naomi's husband that had died, Himelech. It's in his family. And for whatever reason, probably because Naomi was just so crushed and discouraged, she like totally forgot about Boaz and about the relationship to the family. And he catches Caesar, piques his attention. Oh, you know, who is this? And he already knew a little something about her because it was told uh, to him and some of the other men that this Moabitess came back. Because remember I said that she's from Moab and they're not supposed to, like, be with God's people. So obviously people are talking. And they're like, well, why did she come back? And it was told to him and explained to him the type of character that she had and how committed she was to Naomi. So he was interested on that level, and he was also interested on the physical level. So he noticed both things, as it turned out. And then what happened is we're going to miss, um, we're going to miss kind of the whole romance and everything that happens and take places with them. But basically what happens is he sees her, um, they uh, kind of have this romantic thing where they go back and forth, and then she starts asking Naomi how to approach him, how they should get along. And uh, what happens is they had this thing set up called a kinsman redeemer. Say kinsman redeemer. Yeah, that was in place in the Old Testament. So basically, like, if I died, I'm married to Julie, right, I have my kids. What happens if it was old school Israel, uh, my brother, Josh, he could have first rights as, like, a redeemer of my family to perpetuate the name, especially if I had no kids, to perpetuate the name and to keep it going. And if he chose not to, then there could be other people in the family that could take, take up on that if they wanted to. Because what would happen is, as a redeemer, you're redeeming the family. You're seeing a family like, without a husband, without any income, without anything. And so then somebody steps in and says, no, I'll redeem that family. Like, I'll be there. I'll provide. I'll help also perpetuate the name. And so that was the idea behind it. And so there was somebody in the family that was next in line to be a redeemer for the family. And Boaz wasn't, he wasn't the one. He was actually behind the next person in line. And so that person said, hey, um, I'd like to be a redeemer for this family. And then Boaz reminded them, he said, hey, listen, if you're going to be a redeemer for this family, not only are you going to get their house and their land, but you also, like, you get Ruth, and you have to be your husband and, like, perpetuate, you know, that family and keep that family alive. And that redeemer, I guess, didn't like the sound of that. He's like, actually, no, then I don't think I want to do it. And so Boaz is like, I know a guy. He's like, I'll do it. And so he ends up acquiring, right, Ruth being, um, you know, with Naomi's family, gets the house, the land, everything. And uh, he ends up marrying her. And so then, last part we close up here, unusual blessings always come with faithfulness. That's the last part. Unusual blessing always comes with faithfulness. Unusual blessings always come from faithfulness. We're so used to cause and effect. You do this, this happens. You do that, that happens. A lot of that's true in life. The cool thing is, is that when you fall and worship God, sometimes you do this, and all of that happens.
it's not exactly just cause and effect. More dominoes go down. So she's up getting married. She has a son. And then, with that son, they are right over there? Hard to be getting food. Then with that son, Naomi has a grandchild. And then from that child is the entire lineage of Jesus Christ. That's where he comes from. So the child that's born to Ruth is the great-grandfather of King David. That's amazing, right? So Ruth has a child, Obed. Obed has a child, Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. And from David, right, you get Jesus Christ. So if you look at Matthew 1, turn there real quick. And we're just about done. Matthew 1, all the, all the genealogy that nobody ever wants to read because it's super boring, but there's some interesting stuff in there. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Sam and the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse... And then as you follow down there, it goes right into Jesus Christ. So it is awesome to me the way the unusual blessing, I mean, that's like way above and beyond what Ruth or Naomi could have ever imagined. Completely above and beyond. And it came from what? It came from a loyalty to what matters most. Persevering day in and day out. And at some day, things started to change. So the message is for moms, stay true to who God called you as a mom. Stay loyal and committed to what matters most. And and it won't just be one day. There's just going to be a couple of days where things just change. And what happens is very unusual blessings, very unusual things take place as answers to what God is seeing and what he is hearing. Because, listen, that is by no means a perfect family. They are dysfunctional at best with nothing but problems. Praise God. It didn't disqualify them in any way from being used by God. I'm so encouraged by that. And you should be too. Because it's not an issue of like, if God uses me and how he might use me. That's Listen, for you, for I, for the mom, for the dad, the issue is, okay, he is going to. Now am I going to be ready when he calls me into whatever he's going to call me into? So it's not like if you're going to be used. It's, it's like when. And he might be in the middle of that season right now and you might not be. And it wouldn't be odd at all for anybody in this tiny little room to entirely shake up and change up the globe. It's not odd in the kingdom. It's just not. There's countless stories. I was at a pastor's conference last weekend. Uh, This guy, you know, he grew up, a little farmer boy. I was in a little church about this size for 30 years. Thought he'd always be there. And it grew a little bit, and Fast forward now, almost 45 years. I mean, 
He speaks to thousands and thousands and thousands of people each year and has a platform that's just ridiculous. He never actually wanted it. He never really asked God for it. But somebody in church, he said he always blew him off. There was a businessman in his church. He said, brother, I've been praying for you. And he's like, oh, okay, really? He said, God has plans to have you to speak to the nations. And I got to understand, like, so that'd be like, you know, Right now in the room, somebody comes up to you after church today and they say to you, God has plans for you to speak to nations or God is going to do such and such to your family or God is going to do something. And you'd be like, well, that was kind of nice you said that, but I don't actually believe it. And that's actually the way this guy received it too. He said he always blew it off. He never actually, he didn't have faith with it. And sure enough, you know, it came to pass. And I was just talking to him, you know, last week. It's just ridiculous to hear his story. So I'm saying, like, it's when God uses us in significant, like, that's the plan. So single mom, no mom, bad mom, great mom, he's got answers. He's got answers. Like, he is the answer. And he's more than faithful and true. So if we can persevere in the things that are right, we will see. We will see him move, and we will see his hand at play. That's a good word. I think it is anyways. So let's stand. We're going to close in prayer. God, I thank you for the uh, amazing example that you gave us through Ruth. And we thank you, Lord, uh, for showing us the incredible value that you have upon transparent, loyal, authentic hearts, Lord. Most of the world around us just eats that stuff up and throws us away, takes advantage, and walks all over. Father, you do dramatically more than that. It's very valuable in the currency of heaven. And I pray, Father, for just a release of more of that commitment and faithfulness to what matters in our lives. I pray, Father, that you would increase the hope level in myself and and people in our church, Lord. I pray that moms would not be discouraged by their kids and about what's happening right in front of them. It's not the entire story. There's a bigger narrative, and you have a way to unusually work and bring blessing. It may take a while, But if we can remain faithful and true to who you called us to be, Lord, we will see your hand at work. So I just pray, Lord, and I ask you for an extra measure of boldness and courage, less anxiety and less frustration. And may the emotions not cloud us from the good work that you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.